you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks, shouts, swears, and whispers African myths and legends straight into your ear canal. For those who are new to the podcast, my name is Tashira, and I have travelled far and wide through your scientifically inaccurate anatomy, accompanied by my companion moth, Squirt. We find ourselves now deep, deep within your hippocampus, after escaping from Mulan, her pet Kakarodontosaurus, and a loyal band of cowboys. Now for those who are unfamiliar with the human brain, I am not in fact standing in the middle of a university run by hippopotamus. As deceptive as the word hippocampus is, the hippocampus is actually the part of your brain which helps consolidate all the 101 bits of information which make up your memory. We actually have two hippocampi, and I am unsure in which one I am standing at this moment. But I'll tell you what, you have remembered the strangest things from your fourth birthday party. For those wondering why on earth your memory bank is called hippocampus, the word actually comes from the ancient Greek word hippocampos, which means seahorse. A dude named Julius Caesar named it this because he thought that it looked like a seahorse. And no, not the Julius Caesar who was stabbed 23 times by his mates, but Julius Caesar Aronsi, an anatomist from Venice. Anywho, Squirt is enjoying himself as he watches your four-year-old self stuff cake into your armpits. I want to know the story behind it, but also I don't want to know the story behind it. So I'm going to go ahead and get on to today's story. Today's episode is actually quite special. I shall be telling you all about the many misadventures of Jackal, which will take us from the Swazi to the Zulu and then to the Khoikhoi. But I will not be alone on this adventure. Today I am joined by my good friend, your favourite bedtime storyteller, Dustin Steckman, and Dustin, I'm really sorry if I butchered your last name, the host of Sandman Stories Presents. Dustin runs an amazing folktale podcast geared to help you relax. He tells tales from all around the world, China, India, South Africa, Korea, Ghana, Brazil, and many more, all from the public domain. It's one of my favourite listens, and today, Dustin has kindly lent his wonderful voice to the characters in my story, and has helped bring them to life. Our first story is a tale from the Swazi people about Jackal and Kudu. The Swazi people are Nguni language-speaking people, originating mainly from southern Africa, and now largely inhabit Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, the Mpumalanga province in South Africa, and Mozambique. The Swazi people and Eswatini take their name from King Mswati II, whose father, King Sabuza, defeated the British forces occupying Eswatini. Through conquering smaller Soto and Nguni communities, King Sabuza expanded the kingdom of Eswatini and unified the Nguni, Soto, and remaining sand groups into one Swazi nation. Although a large portion of the Swazi territory was ceded to the Boer after they defeated the Zulu nation in the Battle of Blood River, the remaining region of Eswatini and the rulership of King Swati II was recognised by both the Boer and the British. However, by 1903, the British claimed authority over Eswatini and the kingdom only gained independence in 1968. A long time ago, 
When the creatures of the world had just been introduced to first men, and the creature was at peace, Jackal found himself standing on one side of a broad, swiftly flowing river. On the other side was first man's field, in which healthy golden maize grew. Jackal's stomach grumbled. More and more animals passed through. Lion had also arrived some months back and claimed much of the hunting ground for himself leaving Jackal to survive as well as he could on measly bugs and worms. Now even First Man's maze called to Jackal's hunger. A little distance away, Kudu stood, his fine teeth pulling dry shoots of acacia from the earth, which mostly crumbled before they got to his mouth. His body was thin, and he too was hungry. A plan grew in Jackal's mind. An alliance could be made, perhaps. Jackal cautiously approached Kudu. My good friend, the most majestic beast to graze upon these plains. Never have I seen a more glorious creature. What magnificent horns! Jackal exclaimed, his eyes lit with wonder. Kudu narrowed his dark eyes at Jackal, ears twitching suspiciously. What do you want, Jackal? He huffed out impatiently. He knew from others that Jackal was not always to be trusted. Lion himself, on one occasion, warned him of Jackal's devious nature. Jackal's face twisted with misery as he addressed Kudu. Oh, great Kudu, like yourself, I find myself in desperate need of food. First man's side of the river is plentiful, and I spied some delicious green shoots as well. But the river is too strong for me to swim, and I cannot wade through the water for my legs are too short. Jackal let out a pitiful sigh, his eyes glistening with tears. Kudu's face softened as he stared down at the suffering creature before him. With your strong, long legs, you, great Kudu, are more than capable of matching the river's strong current. If you were to let me ride on your back while you cross the river, you and I would both return with bellies full at the end of the day. Kudu thought over Jackal's request for a few minutes. Then his growling stomach made up his mind for him. Very well, Jackal. I will take you across, for I am also hungry. Kudu eventually said, leaning down so that Jackal could climb onto his back. Jackal barked with happiness and carefully climbed atop Jackal's back. My eternal gratitude is yours, O oh mighty Kudu! Jackal exclaimed as Kudu entered the river, bracing himself against the current before wading across with ease. Once on the other side, Jackal leapt off Kudu's back and stalked away into the maize field for a hearty feast. Meanwhile, Kudu found himself a fresh bush to bury his head in, munching happily on the green shoots. Suddenly, a loud, joyous howl rang through the air. It was Jackal, dancing and singing with joy at his full belly. Kudu was too consumed with his own delicious meal to notice, but First Man did and strode into his field angrily, waving a large stick. What creature dares to steal from me and celebrate? Come out so I may beat you for your insolent behavior. He bellowed out furiously. But Jackal, who had seen First Man approaching from afar, had slunk swiftly and silently into an empty aardvark hole to hide. First Man spotted Kudu happily munching away at the greenery and flew into an uncontrollable rage. You, Kudu! You dare to feast on my hard-won grounds, and to openly gloat about it? 
I will show you the evils of such a proud nature. First man shouted and charged at Kuru, grabbing him viciously by the horns and striking him between the eyes with his stick. Kuru howled in agony as first man beat and insulted him. Eventually, first man grew tired and left Kuru bruised and aching in the field. Seeing that the coast was clear, Jackal sauntered over to Kuru, who had begun to limp back towards the river, his one eye swollen shut. Jackal, why did you make such a noise and then leave me to the rage of first man? My entire body is aching and my leg injured because of you. Kuru angrily addressed Jackal. But Jackal simply laughed, paying no attention to Kuru's black and blue body. Don't blame me, good Kuru, for Jackals always sing and dance after a good meal. My ancestors did it, and so will I, he said with a smirk. Kuru stared at him in disbelief for several moments, before letting out a resigned sigh. Very well. Let us return to our side of the river before you bring First Man's rage upon us once more. Kudu grumbled out, wincing as he knelt to let Jackal climb onto his back. Jackal leapt up without regard for Kudu's injuries. So Kudu waded into the river, sighing gratefully as the cool waters soothed his injuries and cleaned his cuts and bruises. Then, as they were about halfway across the river, Kudu suddenly knelt down and began to roll from side to side, making contented noises as the waters flowed up his body. Jackal yelped and tried to cling on to Kudu. Kudu, you fool! What are you doing? I will fall into the waters if you are not careful. At these words, Kudu made a final roll and sank into the waters with a small smile as Jackal tumbled off his back and into the waters. He watched as Jackal desperately tried to swim against the current, his head barely above the water. Ah, my apologies, my dear friend Jackal. But you must not blame me, for Kudu always roll in the cool waters of the stream after a good meal. My ancestors did it, and so will I. Always be kind to others, and especially those who help you. Be the Kudu and not the jackals of this world, otherwise the Kudu of the world may just kick your ass into the river. Our next jackal story is also a tale from the Swazi people, this time featuring Wildcat. Now we all know that Jackal was a devious fellow, who loved to cheat and play tricks and prey on the gullible, but what the other creatures most disliked about Jackal was his constant boasting. Jackal would find every opportunity he could to gloat about his prowess and skills, even going so far as to take credit for deeds he did not perform. This most annoyed lion, who thought of himself as the mightiest creature in the land. But on this particular day, it was a smaller feline creature who found herself victim to Jackal's boastful attitude. Wildcat was resting on a tree branch, sheltering from the heat of midday, her long body elegantly draped across the branch. Birds chirped above her, a light breeze blew through the tops of the trees, cooling her skin pleasantly. Yes, nothing could spoil this day. Sadly, she discovered she was wrong, as she heard loud and clumsy stamping on the ground below. Looking down, she spotted Jackal approaching the tree. Of all the creatures, Wildcat sighed in frustration. Why must I be plagued by Jackal? Jackal looked up at her voice and grinned upon seeing her. But beneath his crafty grin, 
Jackal felt a pang of jealousy. Why could Wildcat escape to the trees when she wanted to, but not he? He was, after all, the smartest creature on the earth. Why did the creator not grant him this ability? Wildcat, enjoying the view up there? Jackal called out, his voice cheerful and friendly, but Wildcat saw through his facade. I was until this drooling dog wandered into my area and disrupted it. Wildcat called down with disdain. Jackal's face fell into a skull, but he quickly wiped the expression off his face. Ha ha ha, always so funny, Wildcat. Why are you always up a tree anyway? Jackal asked, settling onto his haunches. Wildcat sighed again at Jackal's determination to start a conversation. Well, it usually provides me a good view, and I can also see any predators and prey from up here. It's particularly useful when dogs chase me. I can escape quite easily, Wildcat explained, licking her paw and rubbing her face carefully. Jackal sneered cruelly and let out a bark of laughter. Ha! Huh. I am not surprised that you always choose the coward's way out, Wildcat. You are just like the little scared birds who fly away from anything and everything. Wildcat frowned as Jackal's words stung her pride, but pressed her mouth shut. He was just trying to get a rise out of her, but she had the literal and figurative high ground. Well, Jackal, you must remember that I am not very fast and cannot outrun my natural enemies, she said patiently. I, however, can run faster than any other creature on earth. Jackal boasted. Those dogs could never catch me. I am not a scared coward like you, Wildcat. He continued with a smirk, but Wildcat simply blinked down at him. Well, perhaps you're right, Jackal. Wildcat said after a while, a glint in her eyes. It wouldn't harm me, though, to teach you how to climb. Imagine how everyone will praise your new talent. Wildcat added with a knowing smile. Jackal considered her words briefly before nodding nonchalantly. Well, I suppose you have a point there, Wildcat. Knowledge is, after all, never wasted. Very well, teach me, Jackal said casually, even though beneath his easy facade he was very eager to learn to climb trees. And so, Wildcat hopped down and began teaching Jackal. First Wildcat demonstrated how to climb up the tree while Jackal watched. Then she instructed him to give it a go. After several attempts, Jackal finally managed to get a grip of the bark beneath his paws and inched upwards. Ha! See? I'm doing it! This is so easy! Jackal fell into the undergrowth with a horrible crash and a small whine. Wildcat blinked, a small smile tugging at her face, but she managed to somehow restrain herself. Not to worry, Jackal. The first few tries at climbing trees can be difficult. Give it another go, she said, settling comfortably onto the grass near her tree. Jackal scowled at her, but prepared to climb again. This time, he fell to the ground even sooner. Now Jackal was furious, and began throwing himself up the tree recklessly, falling every time with comical yelps and yowls. Despite her tremendous efforts to restrain herself, Wildcat burst out laughing as Jackal fell for a sixth time to the floor. Jackal's face was now taut with anger and pain, and suddenly he whirled around and fell upon Wildcat with a ferocious growl. Wildcat screamed as Jackal grabbed her leg between his teeth. You will pay for humiliating me, you ridiculous creature. You can't laugh if I kill you. He growled out as Wildcat attempted to wriggle away with no success. 
Jackal's eyes gleamed, and Wildcat would have been gone from this world, had the arrival of a pack of wild dogs not saved her. With a high-pitched yelp of terror, his bravado vanishing into thin air, Jackal let go of Wildcat and looked wildly around for a hiding place. Meanwhile, Wildcat leapt up her tree to safety. Jackal, scared out of his wits, his tail between his legs, scrambled away from the snapping jaws of the wild dogs and into an anteater hole. The dogs whined at losing their prey and tried to dig him out while Jackal shivered in the hole. Why are you hiding, Jackal? Wildcat called out, unable to resist one last dig at the boastful Jackal. Why didn't you simply run away? Since you can run faster than any other creature on earth. She let out a cackle before settling down into the branch. Eventually, the dogs gave up and wandered away, and after a long moment, Jackal crept out of the hole, his ears flat with shame. Wildcat grinned down at him before bursting into laughter as she watched him slink away to lick his bruises and mend his wounded pride. But from then on, Wildcat always kept an eye out for Jackal and was ready to scamper up a tree just in case he ever returned for his revenge. Ah, yes. This is what happens when you act like a douche, kids. You have to go hide in an anteater hole. Now to our next story, which comes from the Zulu people of KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. I always get more excited when I tell a story from my own province. I spoke about the Zulu people and a bit of the history before, in episode 15, for my tale about the Inkanyamba, the legendary snake. So instead of speaking about the history again, I want to rather talk a little about the deeper meanings behind Zulu beadwork. Now, if you haven't seen Zulu beadwork, you have truly missed out on some beautiful art and skill. There's not simply the beauty of the work which is special, but actually the story the beads tell. Traditionally, the colours chosen as well as how the beadwork is positioned can actually tell the viewer a story. In terms of the colours, each one has both the positive and negative meaning. So a black bead can either mean marriage and rebirth, or could mean death and sadness. A green bead is contentment or illness, a red bead is love or another strong emotion like passion, or it could be anger and heartache. Only the white bead does not have a negative emotion attached to it simply meaning purity and spiritual love. There are also different meanings depending on which colours are placed next to each other. For example, a black bead next to a white one usually indicates a good marriage, or a red bead next to a black one could mean intense sadness or heartbreak. The positioning is also important. Bead patterns are usually placed in triangles, with each triangle meaning dependent on the positioning of the tip of the triangle, since each triangle point represents either mother, father, or child. So if the triangle tip is pointing upwards, this means the wearer is an unmarried woman. Corner pointing down means an unmarried man. Two triangles placed together in a diamond shape indicates that the wearer is a married woman, as a diamond is a symbol of fertility. For married men, the triangles are placed together with the tips meeting to form an hourglass shape. I find it really amazing, and so clever, the way that the colour and patterns of these beads can tell you instantly a small story of the wearer. One very fine day, when the sun was beating down upon the land, and the sky was washed blue, Jackal, our devious friend, swaggered into view. He was walking through a very narrow pass, filled with huge rocks and boulders. 
when suddenly he heard the distinctive sound of Lion approaching. Now Jackal had played many a trick on Lion, and had lied to the King of Beasts far more times than he could count, so, understandably, Jackal was rather nervous to meet the Golden Lord again. Quick as a flash, a plan popped into his head. Spotting a large overhanging boulder along the pass, Jackal dashed beneath and sank low to the ground. Just as Lion rounded the corner and spotted Jackal, the trickster let out a pitiful howl and cried out to Lion, Help! Mighty King, help me! I beg of you! Lion stopped in shock and stared at the cowering figure of Jackal. Truth be told, as soon as he had seen Jackal in the pass, Lion was determined to grab him by the tail and swing him this way and that. But now, Jackal glanced fearfully above him at the overhanging rock and screamed. Please, Lion, we shall both surely be crushed as these rocks are about to fall on us. You must do something, my king. Only you have the strength. Now Lion was known for his pride and for his need to be a hero, and of course Jackal knew this, so it was no surprise to him when Jackal leaped towards him and immediately placed his shoulder against the rock, pushing against the heavy slab. I have done it. I have saved you, Jackal, with my mighty strength. Lion roared out triumphantly. Jackal gazed in mock awe at Lion. Truly, I am always stunned by your majesty. I shall run and fetch a log to prop up this mighty rock. Then we'll both be safe. I shall be right back. Jackal added as he scampered off, snickering softly to himself, while Lion grunted with the tremendous effort of holding up the unmoving rock. After a good few minutes, Lion felt sweat drip down his jaw and slide into his mane. Where on earth is that jackal? He muttered to himself, his arms beginning to shake from the effort of pushing against the stone. Then, slowly but steadily, realization began to dawn upon him. Lion slowly let go of the rock. It did not move. He felt his face heat up and his claws extended dangerously. Jackal! Some way away, Jackal flinched, even as he chuckled at the sound of Lion's roar. He ran a bit faster. Nothing tasted sweeter than a good old-fashioned prank. So what's our last story about? This time we're going to listen to the Khoikhoi people from Southern Africa. The Khoikhoi were the first pastoralists in Southern Africa, and the name Khoikhoi means men of men, or the real people. The Khoikhoi and the San, although initially peaceful towards each other, quickly came into conflict due to their differing ways of life. The Khoikhoi were primarily herders, while the San were hunter-gatherers. When the Dutch began invading and colonizing Southern Africa, the Khoikhoi were the first to be killed, enslaved, and pushed out of their lands. During colonization, and for a long time afterwards, the Khoikhoi were known by the derogatory term Hottentots by European settlers. The term originated from a word used by the Khoikhoi while dancing, which sounded like Hottentots to the European settlers. Traditionally, the Khoikhoi kept goat, cattle, and sheep, and only stayed in one place for a few weeks at a time. Because of this, they were able to carry everything they needed on their own backs or via their animals. Their houses were easy to build and break down, and buckets and pots were made from wood with small handles, which allowed easy transport.
Now everyone in the land knew Jackal was trouble, even the creator. Oh, the complaints he would get from the other animals. Innocent at first. Jackal had stolen Tortoise's favourite drinking bowl, or Jackal had tricked the bees into giving him all their honey, or Jackal had caused another rift between Elephant and Rhino. There was always one thing or another. But then, the complaints became more serious. Jackal had led Wildcat into a dangerous ambush. Jackal had gotten Kudu beaten up by First Man. Jackal had endangered Cheetah's cups. Now these complaints, Creator could not ignore. So, he decided to teach Jackal a lesson. Turning himself into a little boy, the creator went to find Jackal. Jackal was lazing sleepily under his favourite tree, so the creator gently woke him up. Upset at being disturbed, Jackal grumpily stared at the boy, ignorant of his true identity. What do you want? Jackal grumbled out sleepily, tucking his tail over his nose as he tried to ignore the boy and go back to sleep. Please, great Jackal, I am lost and too tired to walk any further. Could you give me a ride to the nearest village? I would reward you well with a lovely plump goat of my father's when we get there. Jackal contemplated this idea, and eventually got up and shook himself. Well, I suppose I'm already awake now, and a goat sounds like a lovely afternoon snack, so I will take you. Hop on. Jackal said kneeling so the boy could climb onto his back. In his mind, however, Jackal had already formulated a plan to ensure the boy would give him an entire herd of goat, not simply one measly morsel. The creator, however, knew instantly what Jackal was thinking, and felt deep disappointment in Jackal. Before Jackal could even begin to move, the creator gripped his back tightly with his legs and shouted, his true voice booming into the sky for all to hear. I am the creator. Your wicked ways have led you to this day, Jackal, and forced my hand. Now, accept your punishment. And with these words, he summoned a ball of fire in his hands and threw it down onto Jackal's back, setting his entire coat ablaze. Jackal howled in pain, begging the creator to stop his punishment, for he was so sorry for everything he had done. But the creator had vanished, leaving Jackal to suffer alone. In desperation, Jackal rolled and rolled and rolled in the sand, until eventually his coat stopped burning, and the flames dissipated. Panting and crying softly, Jackal limped off towards a pool of water, intending to calm the burns on his back. But when he looked at his reflection, Jackal almost fell to the ground in shock. His beautiful auburn coat, which he always boasted about, was now streaked with black marks and white ash smudges. Jackal stood horrified, for now he truly knew what the creator's punishment meant. All the creatures in the land would always see Jackal's marks, and know not to trust him and not to talk to him. They would reject him, and he would be all alone. The end. And thank you so much, Dr. T, for making me a part of this. You really are awesome and a wonderful person, and I thank you for everything.
For this episode, I adapted the following stories from these books by Nick Greaves. The Lion Could Fly, and When Hippo Was Hairy. Other sources for the history bits was essayhistory.org and zulubeadculture.wibbly. A huge thank you to the one and only Dustin, host of Sandman Stories Presents, who has helped me bring these stories to life. I so enjoyed working with him and listening to his wonderful impressions of the various animals. I thought he really captured each of the characters beautifully. It was great to have another folklorist on one of my Animal Tale episodes, and I hope to invite other folklore podcasters to also collaborate with me in a similar way in the future. Again, thank you so, so much, Dee. Now, before I end off this episode, I have a lovely promo from Forgotten Darkness Podcast. A man in Brazil dies from severe burns, maybe from a UFO. In Washington, D.C., Jack the Slasher breaks into a house and barely steals anything, but dumps molasses all over a piano and cuts up curtains and sofas. I'm Andrew Gable, and on Forgotten Darkness, I'll look through old newspapers and other sources to find those lesser-known stories of yesteryear. I look mostly at true crime and unexplained phenomena. So if either of those topics sounds like your sort of thing, check us out. You can find the podcast at ForgottenDarkness.Podbean.com or on most podcast apps. And now I must love and leave you. Legendary Africa is produced and edited by Hestia the Dog, written by Athena the Doggo, and hosted by me, the Shirapada. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review wherever you can, and remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LegendaryPod1 and LegendaryPod. Check out the links to the podcast website and the Strange Up Strange website in the show notes. Until next time, remember to mask up, sanitize before you fraternize, and above all, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye! (laughs) 